Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Smash pop. Eric's been blown to smithereens. Colin's been carved up, and I've got a bomb in me casino. You say nothing unusual. The Long Good Friday. A terrifying nightmare from which there is no escape. The Long Good Friday. Hello and welcome to Smash Pod, a podcast celebrating all the Bond films by those who enjoy, hate, or you know, just aren't asked about them. Hosted by me, John Rain. It's side special time again, and it's Good Friday, so it seems only fitting that we take a visit to the East End, have a bloody Mary, and get razors on the trumpet. Yes, it's the long Good Friday. Huh? Joining me to take diabolical liberties with your trumpets are two members of a very familiar firm. Film journalist Ali Catterall, who can be found on Twitter as at Ali Catterall with two L's at the end. Um, what? Yeah, good, lovely. And comedy actor Paul Putner, who's wasting everybody's time on Twitter as at real Paul Putner. 24 <laughs> tweets. Shut up. <laughs> but they're 24 <laughs> tweets of value. But I always put, I put tweet 24. Yeah. Tweet 9. Hmm. Sometimes it's all it is. Not in it's random just... order. <laughs> Sometimes no, that is literally <laughs> just put tweet eight. Oh, you are doing them random order. Well, I, yeah, numerically they're in order, but I. Yeah. Uh... You tweeted the day before yesterday. I noticed. Yeah, I might have done. I An normally do it very late at uh, very late at night. But it always feels like such a big event when you do. Like yeah. Someone clustered yeah. round like like the apes in the monolith going shit. Yes. He's done it again. But it's funny. Davy Jones from Viz Comics went, "Oh, it's such a roller coaster." <laughs> <laughs> He's right. What life or Twitter? My Twitter account. I was going to say, if it's life, Ronan Keaton got there first. Yeah. If you don't mind. So here we are, the Long Good Friday, and we kick off with. Francis Monkman soundtrack. 
Wow. Isn't it good? Can we have a moment with Francis Monkman's soundtrack? What Isn't a, it? What an extraordinary score. I mean, honestly, the, the best, you know, theme show a 1970s UK cop show never had. Mm. You know, incredible. Well, the thing I most enjoyed about it is it said, theme tune by Francis Monkman, album available on Ganja Publishing. <laughs> yes. I thought, oh, isn't that fun? Especially because Bob Hoskins, as we've discussed earlier, does a reggae song oh. for this album. Talking to the police. Yeah. Cut out. Yes, it's Smoking, extraordinary. Joking, yeah. and talking. It's like he's a, a, a member of UB40. I always imagine that they've. I always imagine they've put a little um, beanie on him. Yeah, and given him, given him a spliff and said, "Go on, have yeah, a thing." Yeah. I've got the uh, original vinyl soundtrack I've had for years. He has everybody. It's beautiful. The Long Good Friday, mm. and inside there's an insert music notes composed by Francis Monkman. Hmm. So it recorded at C and CTS Wembley on December twelfth, eighth, twentieth, nineteen seventy nine. Lovely. So he was up against it. Was I he? would have thought. Yeah. With such musicians as Herbie Flowers. Oh. He of War of the Worlds and Grand Granddad. Well, yeah. I mean Monkman and Flowers were both in Sky, you see. Sky and Kevin founding Peak. members. Kevin yeah. Peake as well. Mm. And is it Curved Air? Mm. That's right. Blimey. And there's great little notes. It's his first oh. score as well. You know, how incredible is that? It's so good. Boop, so boop, good. It's very ticklish. Yes, it's just, um, uh, it's wonderful. And I'm film, sure we'll talk about it. We will, we, we will get there. I mean, the scene I want to talk about particularly falls much later, but we will get there. I mean, it starts off in Ireland with uh, Colin, Paul Freeman, Belloc. Uh, and a very young Kevin McNally. Yes. He's a, he's a babe. And he looks like he's a member of Secret Affair or the Lambrettas, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. His outfit's very very of its time, that kind yeah. of Harrington mod look. Sexy, would you say? Yeah. Yeah, I would. Everyone's sexy. Hmm. I just can't believe that now he's now playing Tony Hancock. Yes. Yeah. That young lad. When is it? It's Colin, isn't it? Colin is Paul Freeman. Yeah. Paul Freeman. Yeah, so yeah. when he opens a suitcase full of money, it would yeah. be great if his face suddenly melted. <laughs> <laughs> it's beautiful. Yes, I I must admit I'm as thick as two short planks. Hmm. I don't understand. Yeah. Why Kevin McNally and the other chap are, are, are murdered? What's going on there? I well, couldn't, Collins couldn't follow that. Collins nicked five grand and had three IRA men murdered. Basically, what's happened? The, the upshot of this is is that um, Colin was supposed to be the bagman yep. for the IRA via the councillor Harris, who we meet later. Yeah, because this councillor Harris says the only way he's going to get his buildings built. Um, is if he pays the IRA protection because all, all, all basically all the mix, the pig-eyed mix. So, yeah. uh, basically, all the navvies are IRA members. Yeah. So, so there you go. So, he's the bagman for the IRA, but he's been helping himself. And simultaneously, by horrific coincidence, on the same day that he's helped himself, the IRA, as you see, the three men in that cottage. Um, have realised they've been caught short, mm. um, and and suddenly the police bust them. That that, that you know that's where the diddly 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 sort of comes in. Is that where the window breaks? For, that's where the window eternity. breaks. Eternity. So so Shh, Bob, so as Bob Hoskins says, well they come up with the answer, have they? You know they put two and two together and they come up with the answer. So you know, yeah. you know so they now <laughs> they now assume mm. that he's done it because because Colin is Hoskins bagman. Yeah. So there you go. You know. Yeah. So. Colin is Colin, uh, Jeff, and Councillor Harris. So, basically, so the whole thing in the pub where you see the Kevin Eldon lookalike who, who, in the Harrington jacket, you know, yeah. when, when they when they pick him up, that's basically Colin just fancying some like sort of local Irish guy. Yep. Um, the IRA presume 
because Colin Colin goes back to the pub to get to get some cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But the two guys who come out, the IRA assume because I haven't seen Colin. Yeah. That they're connected, so that's why they kill them. You know, Kevin McNally and the right. wi- widow's oh. husband. That that that's the complication. That's what's happened. But yeah. it's strange when they they bundle them into the back of the car. Mm-hmm. Well, that's taking quite a risk, isn't it? <laughs> Having them just sat in the back of the car. Well, I might be car sick. They might puke. They up. might be yeah. car sick, but well, that's how they died. Mm. Maybe they both had Covered heart in puke. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, they're as we say, they're murdered and they're dumped to the side of the road. Then we cut to London, mm. and the body's been brought back in a coffin. And Jeff is meeting with Councillor Harris, as mentioned before. Jeff, played by Charlie from Casualty, as he's known, the yes. highest-paid actor in the BBC. Um, but anyway, so Jeff's meeting with Councillor Harris. He's given the plans. Councillor Harris is bent as, you know, bent as bent, basically. Obviously, they're all yeah, bent yeah, in this one. Yeah, yeah, he is. And um, the widow comes past in the, the funeral cortege. Or cortege. Is it cortege? Cortege. Courgette. Courgette. Yeah. The funeral courgette. Well, after Jeff gets the plans from Councillor Wilson, she, uh, so, sorry, Councillor Wilson, Councillor Harris, she spits in his face and he goes, wait a minute. I wouldn't say that. I was thinking, like, why are you spitting in my face? It's a good thing she lifted her veil because it would have gone everywhere, wouldn't it? Uh, it would have been. Roy Hasley. It's a bit yeah. like, it reminds me of the bit from Jaws where she slaps Brody. Mm. But with spitting. Oh, Alex Quince. Alex, uh, what's it? Oh. Kitner. Kitner, thank yeah. you, yeah. Uh, but Razor sees it, but he doesn't think anything of it. Razor's is, um, I can't remember the actor's P. name. P.H. Moriarty. P.H. Moriarty. Yeah, he Later was later in, Lockstock. in um, Lockstock, yeah. Mm. Uh, Harry the Hatchet. That's it. He's in Jaws 3, The Revenge. He is, yeah. He comes with Simon McCorkendale. But it's strange because he he's, plays this character called Razors, hmm. who uses Razors, but has had Razors used on him. Yeah. So how did he get his nickname? Which Maybe which, it's his real name. Maybe his name's yeah. Steve Razors. Razors. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Razors, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's nominative determinism. Um, but the Concord lands, and here comes the star of the show. The man, Harold Shan. And what a fucking performance. And one of the greatest entrances in cinema. Yep. He looks like, we were saying earlier, like a little pit bull. Like he's got a stocking over his face. Amazing. The ears flattened by the side of the head and the painted on the ears are very odd because they kind of go out impishly. And he's got this really stocky face. And as you said the other day, 36. Yeah. Years old. 36. And he looks great. Mm. And that's the thing as well. Is you look at him and there's that temptation to think he's just a fat bloke. But when you mm. see him later on in the shower, you know, in, in, yeah. in the context of the film, he's not fat. He's just stocky. Yeah. Well, he, he was he's such... Muscle. It was, Solid wall of muscle. For me as a yeah. young actor, to see him mm. being the lead in a film, and I'm no oil painting. You are. Um, You're beautiful. It, it's, mm. And because he did... We, I did look a little bit like him when I was younger. It was just so encouraging, really, mm. because up, you know, you're just used to seeing the, you know, handsome leads, and he's not a conventionally handsome guy. And also, his performance is just phenomenal. It's isn't incredible. It? I mean, we'll get into it. I mean, there's so much in here, but Christ Almighty, it's like it, it, any other lead playing Harold Chan, this film wouldn't have worked. Mm. It's his first major role as well, so he absolutely brought his his A game to it. Yeah, it's just incredible. I mean, he just he's got so much to carry, mm. but he just oh, well, we'll get into it. He gets in the car with Jeff and um, starts asking about how it's going. If there's any, been any problems while he's been away, Jeff lies and says no, it's all been fine. Now, what does he say? It's been all right. All right. We get to this later, don't we? Yeah. Uh, and then he goes goes back to his boat. 
which is moored in the Docklands, and the Docklands looks nothing like it does now, obviously. And then Helen Mirren pops up as his new wife, his mole. Yeah, she's well. fantastic in this. She had she had a great deal of input into her role in this because originally she was kind of written as a kind of pea brain gangster's mole. Really, but Mirren, who who was quite a quite a staunch feminist back then, mm. um, went back to the writer and, and the producer and said, "I really want this role fleshed out. I want to be as equal." You know, mm. there there were certain moments during the filming in which she was, you know, she was very sort of recalcitrant about sort of doing various things like um, sort of burning his clothes afterwards or putting his cufflinks on. She said, "I don't want to put his cufflinks on. He can do, do it himself." Mm. But she had to be sort of you know jollied along to do that. Um, but in terms of their sort of dynamic, their kind of equal equilibrium, um, yeah, she was extremely instrumental for that. Well, she's important to the plot as well because mm. she's uh, there's a moment coming up later on where she completely changes Harold's mind about what's going on. Mm. <clears throat> She's great. I'd love to see a film with just Victoria Shand. Yeah. Yeah. And one just going back to we were talking about cufflinks. Yeah. Am I mistaken or is Harold wearing two gold watches when he arrives? I think you're right. He he's got running. gold on each wrist. One is definitely a watch. Mm. Maybe he's got them all up his arm. Like Maybe. A, like a sort of Del Boy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he uh, the, the, basically we find out the Americans are coming and they're doing a, the deal of the century with the Americans. Mm. They have to check on the chef because he's a ponce. <laughs> Horrible ponce. Horrible ponce. Yeah. It's, it's French, not, isn't he? They're, they're not explicitly called the mafia, the Americans, at this point. That's no, only, you only find but, out that at the end, really. Right at the end. But, they, but they've got mafia. They've got Cosa Nostra written all over them. Spe- particularly Eddie Constantine's kind of reptilian mm. Don type, you know. And this this was based very much on, on the craze who... Um, at one point in their career, at one point in sort of the end dying embers of their, of their reign, try to get the, the, the mafia over to help them. And it was, and, and it was complete bollocks, and the mafia were just stranded at customs in really? America. Yeah. Eddie Constantine is an unusual uh, actor in as much as I thought, well, what film would I have seen him in, in obviously something from the 1960s or 50s? And I looked on his IM, uh, internet movie database, and he's just done mainly sort of, German films and he, he, did, a lot, he films. did a lot of French films. He did Alphaville famously. He did Godard's yeah. Alphaville. Um, the, the reason he talks so strangely in the film, he's got a strange kind of pronunciation going yeah. on. Okay. It's because he was Boy very, from Stepney. Yeah, it's because he was essentially used to being dubbed for the French market. Really? Yeah. Mm. So he became quite sort of lazy with his kind of you know. Um, but that's why he sounds a bit odd, you know, like that. He's good though. Hmm. He sells it very well. Uh, but Harold's mum's going to church again. Three times she's been today. Oh, good. She's been to church three times. It's Good Friday. She's getting more religious as she gets older. That, that joke will be repurposed later in, in a slightly better version. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's a brilliant joke later. Yeah. So Colin goes swimming in tiny trunks. I've put here. And then we see our first glimpse of Piers Brosnan, who looks gorgeous. He looks he fucking delicious, doesn't, doesn't he? Doesn't he? Oh. God. Looks like a baby, but he looks gorgeous. And then we see Jacko from Brushstrokes at the party on the yacht. We see him and Brian Hall as well. Yeah. As in as in the chef from Faulty Towers. That's right, Terry, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, yeah. I thought well, it was one, another one of those sort of guys who died young. Yeah, he mm. did, didn't he? Another early sitcom death like Beckinsale or James Ellis. Yeah. Or more recently, poor old Emma Chambers. Yeah. Oh, terrible. Isn't that awful? Awful. Um, so then the Americans arrive to the party. So there's Eddie and... No, it's Charlie and what's the... It's a bit confusing because you've got Charlie from Casualty, but, yeah, the, but yeah, the mafia yeah. guy's called Charlie. That's right. That's why I was confused. They should have thought of that mm. at the time. <laughs> Dressed uh, as a nursing attendant. <laughs> well, his mm. line was always, hey, 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 take it outside with you. 
That was Charlie from Catch. That's the impression I used to do. It, it works with the hands. Um, so the Americans arrive. There's two of them, which disarms Harold slightly because he's only expecting Charlie. Mm. But Charlie brings his lawyer. And, or his um, lover. Or, or his lover. I mean, that's the other unusual uh, thing. Well, it's not unusual. It, it's it's the um, it's almost like a homoerotic kind of vibe throughout this film. Hmm. Like the way uh, Harold meets the mafia boss. They sort of hug each other in this kind of stomach to stomach and there's and there's and there's a lot of very tactile mm. um emotions and and and, and brotherhood in the, this film and, the, the, and the, there's a lot of homoerotic sort of subtext in, in gangsterism a lot of the gangsters were gay you know it, it, the explanation was that their sort of violence is a kind of sublimated sexuality mm. um you know it's a thread that runs through things like performance you know yes you know what i found in this watching it again with my I'm looking for any detail eyes on for this podcast, is that there are loads of visual clues that Jeff's the baddie. Loads. There's a bit where, you know, after the car bomb, mm. Harold says to Razors, could it be, I think he says something like, who do you think it could be? And Razors says, who's, who could, who would, who's strong enough to take you on? And it instantly cuts to Jeff sitting in the back. Mm. And he looks fairly like sheepish. And it cuts back to them in the front. And then later on, there's another scene similar to that. Yeah. I just think there's lots of visual. Yes, yeah. they're all they're all dead. Yes, and they're all dead. Oh, just quickly, just to mm. return back to the swimming pool scene, please. The Monkman soundtrack, mm. very very evocative of Diamonds Are Forever. Mm. It is of yeah. the uh, Mr. Kid um, and Mr. Wince theme, the mm. flute. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> it's got that vibe. Spot on. Yeah, yeah. It's good to swing pool bit. I like the way the two girls on the bench sort of look at him admiringly as he sort of gets out of the pool. He's got tiny oh, trunks on. Look at that. Oh, check that out. Tiny, tiny, weeny trunks. Mm. Like, really small. So, yes, then we do cut back to the swing pool and Colin sees Pierce, who, again, you know, he looks gorgeous. And he follows him into the changing room and then he sees him in the shower and then he's just... A, they're being a bit touchy-feely and then a mustachioed man comes and grabs him and Pierce stabs him right in the... Uh, and then we get to, we cut back to the yacht and Harold Shan's doing a speech to all the potential investors essentially talking about Europe's capital I want this to be Europe's capital he's a Remainer isn't he, he is a, I was just going to say he's a Remainer he's talking yeah. about how yeah, the yeah, EU yeah. is a good thing I mean he goes a bit Brexit at the end but he's definitely yeah. a Remainer but even then he's talking about doing deals with Germany with Krauts yeah it's going to be a nice neighbourhood where Archie Leach is going to have an apartment over there in a fish <laughs> called Wanda <laughs> 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 uh, what, what, what makes me what, what I wrote down here at this point is there's a famous clip which I'm sure Ali is going to mention in a moment where Hoskins and uh, Barry Norman go walking around embankment looking at all the sites that have been bought up by investors and it made me think it's quite ironic as Bob was livid about London developers in mm. that clip but in this clip in from The Long Good Friday he's essentially selling it to investors right have a listen to this this is as John says this is Hoskins and Norman wandering around darkness the the whole background of this film or one of the backgrounds of this film um is what keith calls a kind of cockney genocide of docklands and, and whopping hmm. um and he says i hate docklands maybe because i remember what a spunky and vibrant village it used to be before the men in striped suits and flash porsches moved in um he's talking about mass gentrification but he's also talking about shand being a kind of thatcherite in embryo if you like yeah. the, the whole thing is is basically embryonic thatcherism at, at a grassroots level um and and let's yeah let, let's have a listen to this clip now hmm. this is great a little on good friday there bob you had that 
diatribe about what they were doing to London. Now, how much of that was the actor and how much of that was Bob Hoskins expressing his own beliefs? Well, I thought it was going over the top. I thought it was all sort of, you know, fairyland. But after finding out what's been going on down here, that makes, that makes a longer Friday look like a story out of Winnie the Pooh. Well, what is going on? Well, the, that, for example, look at that. Great Mars bar in the tent. But it's sort of an office block, actually. But still, yeah, it's a Mars bar. But there's 1,200 million pounds worth of redevelopment going on right in the way down the river. The whole lot. Where? You imagine that. The old thing's up for grabs. Makes a 60s sort of redevelopment epidemic look like a little rash. You see that building there? Yeah. Now, between there and here, there's going to be a completely great block of offices. It's going to go up in between us. And that's just a fraction of the mile-long slab of buildings that will change the face of Waterloo and the river there. That's wonderful. Oh, God, I love him. Yeah, <laughs> we all love Bob here. Just no one speaks like that anymore. No. It's like David Bowie's accent. Yeah. Nobody talks like that anymore, does it's they? It's so unique. What I've written down here is Docklands, the film probably also, ironically, probably served as an advert for developers. Well, this is the interesting thing, is that when they were making the film, um, the producer Barry Hansen and the director John McKenzie and Barry Keith, the writer, um, pretended that they were developers. They drew up a paper with, with a heading on it, and they sent it to um, various planners, so they would get all their prospectuses. Hmm. Um, and this is how they uh, how they came to sort of lumber sort of Harold Shand with the particular kind of design models that they had of Docklands, you know, when he's presenting it to the Mafia and his, and his cohorts. Um, which is, you know, very much based on on on, the, on, on what was going to happen, or at least the plans that were going to happen. But obviously, you know, Shan's plans, or Shan's yeah. plans, are actually quite modest they compared are. to what happened. Well, especially when you see the mock-ups later, they look mm. shit as well. Yeah, they're terrible. Yeah, but we should also mention something we've missed here. There's been a car bomb, as well as uh, Colin being off. We're jumping ahead of ourselves, yeah. Yeah, Eric's, Eric's been blown up. I love the way he says that. <laughs> he gets a phone call. Harold gets a phone call, and he says, "Diabolical liberty." You should probably say at this point, "Diabolical liberty." <laughs> and he goes, "Eric's dead." And then he, th- oh, this is my favourite bit. It's Shakespearean. He says, "I'll have his carcass dripping blood by midnight." It's quite ambitious, isn't it? It is. It's the way later as well. He says, "Colin's been stabbed." Yeah. Like, that's the worst possible thing that can happen. You know? <laughs> Uh, but Stabbed! I just love the way he says, every time someone says what's going on, he says the same thing. Eric is dead. <laughs> um, so, yeah, basically he goes to see Colin's body in the swimming pool, and he's very upset because they did national service together, and he gives this big speech about how um, he was lost in the snow, and Colin, bit, uh, like, bit like Luke Skywalker, bit like Luke Skywalker, yeah, and yeah. Colin came out as Han Solo. And, and on a Taunton. And, and uh, um, cuts and, open the belly and puts yeah. him in there. Yeah. And, and this is another... Uh, thought these things smell bad on the outside. This is how the, 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 the screenplay shines and, and Hoskins' performance. It's just this vulnerability. Yes. I did a, um, a TV show called Rock and Chips, which was the prequel... I remember it, yeah. ...to Only Fools and Horses. And I played a character called Jelly Kelly, which wasn't far off uh, kind of one of Harold's... Henchman. You got blown up, didn't you? I got blown up. Yeah. And one of the notes the, the director, uh, Dewey Humphreys, gave me was in rehearsal, he said, stop trying to be a villain. He says, villains, they, they're just like you and I. They, they laugh, they smile, 
They go to the toilet. They get angry. You know, bring your shoulders down. Don't scowl the whole time. And this is what Hoskins brings. He's mm. so likable. Mm. Yeah. Such a horrible racist man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but he's so charming because of that vulnerability and his... Like when he first arrives at the airport yeah. and he's like this little bulldog and his whole face lights up and he's smiling. You want to be his mate. It's just, well, particularly it's, uh, Jeff, as we find out later, is a piece of shit. Yeah. Uh, Jeff will say something mildly amusing. Yeah. And Harold will just love him for it. Yeah. He's just really, he's got so much love in him. Yeah. Uh, but also on the turn of a coin, he's got so much fucking rage. violence and yeah. rage. Mm. Yeah. It's testament to, to Keith's writing as well. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But again, I, I still say if you'd have given this part to anybody else, it would be good, but it wouldn't be as good as this. Um, so then you get the brilliant line where the man who looks after the swimming pool says, we're going to collect him in an ice cream van. Oh, that's very edifying, is it? So he says... There's a lot of, dig- lot of dignity in that. Going out like a raspberry ripple. <laughs> <laughs> what makes me laugh is, like, going back to Bond, yeah. live and let die, uh-huh. is the fact that Mr Big... Just knows everyone in this in this city, mm-hmm. and it's just like, why does Bob Hoskins have the, the the manager of a swimming pool as part of one of his associates? It's just well, maybe strange. Colin goes there a lot, and he has to hush it up. Maybe, yeah, mm. maybe, yeah. yeah. I mean, does he know the verger of the church? Probably. <laughs> Got the car bomb outside. Maybe he does a sideline in little trunks or something. Maybe Shans yeah. instead yeah. of Speedos. Yeah, yeah. Um, so then they go to the the Mayfair Casino. I love this. Although yeah. there's, there's a bomb in the casino, or the unexploded bomb in the casino, and the creepier says, um, "Nothing unusual." You yeah. know, we, we had a few Arabs in here last time. <laughs> that fucking yeah. dates it, doesn't it? It does. It does. Well, that's what I was thinking as well. Is that like there's no mention of um, oil money in this mm. at all? So that really dates it. And then the, the beer was like, "Nothing unusual." Mm-hmm. Eric's been blown to smithereens, Colin's been carved up, and I've got a bomb in me casino, and you say nothing's unusual. <laughs> and then they just walk around with this unexploded bomb yeah. in an attaché case. That's the most British thing I've ever seen, though, because yeah. then he gives it to um, Parky later. Yeah, the bent cup. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and then again, he says to Jeff, did anything unusual happen when I was in New York? And he goes, no, nothing. And then we go back to the docks uh, to meet Parky. And I, I've just written down here, I'd love to know what this area looks like right now. The bit they're walking around on, because it is literally a warehouse and docks. This is, what, 1979? Yeah. What I, fuck I, does it look like? I used now? to go down there when I was in the Cubs, and we used to do, like, canoeing down there. Hmm. Uh, and I remember it looking exactly like that, just on sort of abandoned warehouses or, you know, that sort of, that sort of grit. And uh, I fell in the river once, actually. I probably got Viles disease or something you yeah. know, from that. But it was... Now it's probably some sort of glittering piazza, you know. I just couldn't imagine. I bet it's, it's extraordinary, isn't it? Shiny glass but, buildings. But, but, yeah. It reminds me of the location used at the end of Villain. Yeah. 1972. Mm. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, the Richard Burton, oh. which is a lot of parallels. It does. You know, I mean, and Ian McShane. Ian McShane. Uh, but then he meets Parky and they start talking about how there's going to be the 1988 Olympics here. And that's quite funny because mm. they're only a few years out. Because what, mm. 2012? Yeah. In the sort of same area, yeah, yeah. There's about five minutes of, of incredibly racist language. Oh yeah, 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 <laughs> yes. yeah, 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 yeah. We won't go into it. Yes. But yeah, there is some racism here, unfortunately. And then uh, we find uh, basically Harold says, "I want to know what's going on. Who's your grass?" And Parky says, "I'm not telling you the grass." And then he tells me who it is, and it's the best grass name ever, Errol the Ponce, <laughs> from Brixton. Yeah, not just Errol the Ponce. 
They're all the Ponts from Brixton. And um, then, this is the best bit. They go and see a mechanic and ask him where Eric lives. The mechanic is listening to Bob's reggae song. It is, isn't it? It's it's Trevor Laird, by the way. Oh, yes. Who is from... um, Quadrophenia and Babylon and all sorts of things. You can just hear in the background. Let down... Wait a minute. Hang on a minute. Turn that up. (laughs) That's me. (laughs) Uh, And then he says, uh, sorry, I don't know who they are. And then Bob goes, someone's letting some respect here, Razors. Um, But then we go and see Errol the Ponce, who's Denzel from Only Fools and Horses, who you probably met the young version of. Yes, I did. Paul Barber. Yeah. Not the young version. Paul Barber's the original Denzel. Yeah. What's interesting about this house is it's 33 Villa Road. Mm. Uh, it's near Brixton. And the house at that time was actually a terribly white, very middle-class squat. Was it? Yeah. This used to be a nice place. Yeah. Oh, scum moved in. <laughs> um, but Harold barges in on um, Errol the Ponce as he's about to get his end away. And he's very, very upset that he's using needles. Filth. Oh. Yeah, doesn't like drugs. Yeah, decency oh, yeah. well, in this that, disgusting that, world. That's a kind of trope, isn't it, the, uh, yeah. of, of the sanctimony mm. of, of gangsters. Mm. Like in, isn't it... Um, Goodfellas. Goodfellas, he's very anti-drugs, isn't he? Then Paulie and, says, don't touch any of that shit. Yeah. Yeah. Be nice to your mum mm-hmm. and don't do drugs. Yeah. Mm. Like the long firm, he was a bit kind of pompous at the time. That they, yeah. Mark Strong's character, Harry Stark. Now, there's a kind of decency, isn't there? Yeah, there's a code. A code. You, you can smash someone's face in with a hammer, but don't do any drugs. Mm. Which I think is fine. It's very. It's, I was going to say it's a very mod-like thing. It's very sort of sharp and clean, but obviously the mods mm. are full of speed, so that's what works. Yeah, that doesn't work, no. Speaking of which, a lot of the cars are actually on speed uh, during the making of this. Yeah, so it sort of kept them going. Yeah. Really? It was, it was a very short shoot, you know. It was only about sort of eight I weeks. I bet it was if you're on speed. Well, yeah, it was only sort of, yeah, it was only sort of eight weeks Six months, or but it felt like five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> A short, swift Friday, yeah. But anyway, so they cut up Errol's bum quite a lot. Which is interesting because that is apparently um, for a thug. If you want to do a bit of damage, is is quite often they would stab you in the bottom. Really? Because there's no major arteries. Oh, right. Okay. So you can't get done for GBH. Really? Yeah, apparently. It's... it's, a, it's you know, maybe that's why he's slashing him on the bottom. The Are we talking about the bum cheek or in, in the anal area? The bum cheek. Bum really. cheek no. Yeah. I used to wonder why Paul Barber was just kind of standing there almost stock still by, by, by the oven while this was going on. It was, it was explained by the cameraman that the house um, was incredibly small. Right. So there, there really wasn't any move, any room to kind of, you know, leap around and go, fucking hell, mm. my ass." You know, you just had to stand there while this was going on. Poor Errol the Ponce. But mm. we find out that Errol knows nothing. No. Because we later find out it's no... No local trouble. And you've got the token bit of uh, nudity. Yeah, we see some titties. Yeah, in this. They say. We also see Paul Barber's bum. Which yeah, we, so it also, kind of um, out. Yeah, and also we see Razor's tummy. Yes. So he shows us these razor marks all mm. over his tummy. Can I say tummy? You can say yeah. tummy. I'm a parent, I say tummy. The human spiral growth. Yeah, you're my human spiral Clap and But also, when, he goes, when they go outside, when they find out Errol doesn't know anything, then he says, you better find out. Who's minding the car? It's Dexter Fletcher. Dexter Fletcher. Uh, he, he wants a couple of quid. Yeah. And they give it to him. Doing a good job. Reunited with uh, PH Moriarty in Lockstock, of course. That's right, yeah. A few years' time. Yeah. Babyface. Hmm. I'm Babyface. <laughs> that's Dexter, isn't it? Or is yeah, it's Bugsy Malone. Yeah, yeah that's, that's right. right. Yeah. Yeah. There's two Fletchers, isn't there? Graham. 
and Dexter. I don't know. What, in Bugsy Malone? No, there was two Fletcher brothers who used to act. I didn't know that. It was Graham Fletcher and Dex- Dexter Fletcher was the younger one. Dexter's definitely in Bugsy Malone. I yeah. didn't know there was Bates, another one. Yeah, mm. he, I think he used to host a show called Switch, pop show on Channel 4. Wow. I know Dexter did Games Master. Right. From the oil rig. I could be wrong. Dexter's a director now, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. He is. He did Wild Bill. He did. Have Very you been in film. a Dexter Fletcher movie? No. More's the pity. Oh, well, Dexter, if you're listening, Paul is mm. a very good actor. <laughs> uh, he is, genuinely. And then we're going to dinner at Harold's favourite pub when he gets home, we find out. So the Americans have all... Because basically, Harold was trying to rush the Americans into stuff earlier. Well, Eddie. Uh, Eddie. I keep calling him Eddie. Charlie. Harold. Slow down. <laughs> that's, that's basically exactly how he says it. Yeah. And, there's, uh, there's a bond connection with this pub. Is there? It's very. It's basically between Wapping High Street and the Thames and the Isle of Dogs, and it's very, very close in location to where Piers Brosnan soaks a couple of traffic wardens ah, uh, with its speedboat. The world is not enough. enough. Yeah. yeah, that's good. Well, there's another connection for this uh, podcast. So this was this was not a real pub, obviously. Wasn't it? Um, it wasn't a real pub. Um, but during the filming, people started to walk into it and up to the bar. <laughs> yeah, notwithstanding the fact there was a massive fucking tarpaulin where the back wall should be. Mm. You know, I don't know what they thought of that, but they were trying to order. You know, they had to be lured out again. Was... So did the lion and unicorn actually exist? No. 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 But, you know, as, as Keith says, you know, they had to be lured out because you could only blow it up once. Yeah. Yeah. There's an interesting thing. I, If you know, I watched it on a, on a remastered DVD the other night. Mm. If you watch it again... It's really peculiar. I don't know whether it's chroma key, but when they get out of the car, yeah, when after the pub's blown up, you look at the sky. It looks like there's a swarm of bees behind them, and it's very strange. That could be the fact that they shot it just as kind of dusk was happening, and the light wasn't very good, and they had to do, they had to do that whole scene very very quickly. Right. Um, you know, there were almost no cuts in that because because dusk was happening, oh. and that could be that. Or be, you might have taken some of the surgic acid. <laughs> yes. Or there could have been a, a massive wasp storm. Oh, just before we get going, the rest of your notes about everyone goes weird looking. <laughs> everyone gets weird pink faces. Um, so they turn up at the pub, we're going to have a lovely meal. We see the table is set out beautifully. And I was, um, just full transparency, last night I was being sick a lot. And when I was watching this, I was starting to feel a bit better. And their layout, I thought, oh, God, I wouldn't mind eating there. Do you know what? All that food is real. Mm. And it went to fucking waste because of that bomb. Can you imagine that? It looked like mashed potato clams. It was. <laughs> is that a euphemism? Might be. But it looked like clam, it, like clamshells full of mashed potato. <laughs> I all I know is I felt terribly hungry watching that scene. I did. It was making me feel better after mm. vomiting. I'm better now, everybody. By the way. And I like the way that um, it's explained as yet another natural gas explosion. Yes. It seemed to be a it was a gas! Well, I've written down she here, says, she yeah. says, she blames it on natural gas, and I think that's a bit harsh, because it's a good song. <laughs> <laughs> she is great. Um, um, yeah. Mirren's character, uh, Victoria. Yeah. I just, it's just, how did she end up with Harold? No, I don't know. I like the fact when she says, he goes, occupy them. She goes, yeah. I'll take them to Justine's. I'll get razors to book a table. Yeah. Perhaps Harry the Hatchet will organise the taxis home. <laughs> now your testicles to the pool table, Pete, can arrange hotels. It was just the fact that she says, I'll get razors to book a table. Yeah, it is a bit weird, her saying razors. It is quite yeah. funny. But he, and then he says, razors, get on a trumpet. <laughs> My favourite line of the whole film. Get on the trumpet. It's a, it, there's a cliched uh, sort of thing of obviously kind of... Um, 
bits of rough or rough diamonds kind of attracting kind of upper class women, you know. I mean, I mean, hence John Binden and Princess Margaret, John you know, the, the real life actor and criminal and, and, and Princess Margaret. Are we allowed Margaret. to say that you had an affair with Princess Margaret? I don't know, you see. If, 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 if uh, Special Branch are listening, then we're probably all dead. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, there's that. But John, John Binden could dangle six half pint glasses by the handles <laughs> off his fucking enormous schlong. Good for him. My yeah. favourite uh, John Binden story um, was I heard someone, he was working on a, doing one of his first acting jobs. Mm. And he kept kept hearing the director and the uh, first AD going, Come on, everyone, hurry up. We're going to be going into overtime. He goes, What's that? I mean, he goes, Well, look, if we go over six o'clock, means you know they're gonna have to pay everyone but oh really what what you mean yeah time and a half because you know everyone the crew the actors all that and about two minutes later all the power went boo just switched off we just gone round to this all this electrical board just pulled all these leads out thought yeah Give us a bit more bunch then, won't it? <laughs> my my favourite Binden story is when he won the Queen's Award, I think in the late seventies, for um rescuing a guy from drowning. Um and a policeman kind of walked by and saw him doing that and gave him the Queen's Award. I think what what later sort of emerged as it actually pushed the guy in himself. And as soon as he saw the copper, he thought, well, I'd better go and save him, wouldn't it? Well there's a story I mentioned earlier in the pub about um uh, Binden being up for murder and Hoskins being brought in because Bob Hoskins was a friend of John Binden. And I'm sure to many other people like John Binden, and uh, he was up as a character witness for Binden, and Binden got let off. Such as Hoskins' performance. <laughs> Probably went, he's a lovely bloke. <laughs> I like the bit with the with the pub manager where yeah. Harold goes, nobody spotted nothing, nothing at all. <laughs> I really wanted the pub manager to go, no, Mr. Shan, that's a double negative. <laughs> <laughs> did, did anybody see anything at all? more appropriate and then watching him get his head kicked in. I was also a bit sort of surprised about the whole thing about Mick's wearing enormous hats and sunglasses because that's yeah. not really a typical look for the IRA, <laughs> no, is really. it? really. Yeah. It should have been like clay pipe with a pig under the yeah. arm. <laughs> yeah. Apologies to all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm just being I'm just being silly. Don't blow me up, please. Um, so then we have a meeting because now, as, as Ali's very wisely suggested, we um, Harold finds out that the Irish are responsible or at least suspects and Harold hadn't considered them because they're just a you know, they're just a bunch of amateurs. Amateurs. Pig-eyed mix. That's right. So they have a meeting with all his men, including um, Bricktop. What's his name, Alan? Alan Ford. Alan, Alan Ford, Ford. Mm. yeah. And uh, we're going to find out who these guys are. And there's guns all over the table. Half the guys in this room are the real thing, by the way. Are they? They're real criminals, yeah. And, and during the filming, that sort of got... Sitting there, a police car has gone past, you said that. That's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. That's colour. Um, <laughs> so Alex just looked out the window and said, "That's color." Like he's just got eyes. Well, there was a red double-decker bus. I was saying literally, oh, "That's color." Okay, okay. That's the color it. red. There the angle go. I'm at, I couldn't see yeah. that. Sorry. Um, Sorry. Yeah, they're, they're, half them, are, half them are real McCoy, and they're, so during the set, they go up to the director and say, "You know, you don't, you don't pick up a gun like that. You know, you know, we do it. Do you need any murders, do we? Yeah. Um, so yeah, they're all given shooters. He says to one of them, "Could you, you know, do you reckon you could talk to him?" And he says, "Maybe this will be more helpful," and gives him yeah. a gun. Loaded gun as well. And, you've, and got, then, you've got Dave and Nigel Humphreys, of course, um, who looks like Mr. Lucas from Are You Being Served? <laughs> if he just murdered a prostitute and threw her in the Thames. <laughs> <laughs> He's in scum as well. He always he is, he dark is. tinted glasses yeah. and curly hair. Looks a bit Terrifying. like a, a disappointing British porn actor. Yeah. <laughs> like if he came in in a porn film, you're watching, he'd be like, oh, I don't want to look at his knob. Yeah. You know, you ever had that phenomenon? 
No. Okay. No. It's just me. It watches porn. <laughs> okay. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. So yeah, then this is this is leading up to the iconic scene where they're going to bring every, they're going to meet at the abattoir, and he sends Jeff to go and help with the Yanks because that's where his real skills lies. Mm. And then he says, "Why are you so cool all the time?" He says, "Because I'm now I'm on the winning team." Um, so he's going to go and help Victoria with the Yanks, but there's a problem. We cut back to Victoria with the Yanks, or cut two, I should say. And they know about the two bombs. Mm. They know it's not natural gas. And they say, mm. "Why well, you should level with us, Victoria. We found out earlier on, Councillor Harris shouldn't be drinking because when he drinks, he's got a big mouth. Yeah. Um, so Who's the actor who plays I don't Councillor know. Harris? I've seen him in something else, though. Yeah. Is that helpful to you? No. No, I'll look it up. He's very good. He looks like David Warner, doesn't he? He, he did. Does like, look, he does like, look like David Warner. Yeah. I wish he was David Warner. Harold Shand! <laughs> You're the bastard. He's the real bastard. He's yeah, bastard. Councillor Harris, of course, is played by the actor Brian Talbot, who was in The Spy Who Loved Me. Was that right? Seriously, yeah. <laughs> no one's going to know I looked that up, are they? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so uh, he's he's had a few drinks and he's making a bit of a fool of himself. So the Yanks give them 24 hours, and Victoria comes clean with them and says, "Look, there are two bombs. There's been a stabbing. No, uh, she says our friend Colin died at the swimming pool." And then Councillor Harris, because he's a bit drunk, goes, he was stabbed. Colin's being stabbed! <laughs> and she says, I don't think they need to know all the details. Um, so it's the, the Yanks say, so you got 24 hours to resolve all the problems. And then the Councillor starts getting pissed up and talking about how he, this deal would go through without Harold. Mm. And basically being a prick. And uh, then Jeff arrives to take Vicky home. And it gets a bit saucy. Ooh. And so the, the Americans leave because they're really fucking annoyed with Councillor Harris because he's a dickhead. And they leave, and he, and um, Jeff starts taking her home, and then he gets in the lift with her, and he says, I want to lick every inch of you. Oh, 
Say by the bell. Yeah, and I've written here, it's the only time you'll see Charlie from Casualty sex pesting an Oscar winner. Yeah. <laughs> it's not going to happen again, is yeah. it? No. So then... Um, the best scene in the movie, it comes out. Or the, the pivotal scene, anyway. Yeah, well, yeah, we get raises, remembers. Because they go and have a look at... They go to the abattoir to wait for everybody to turn up with the, the people they're going to talk to. And we see Colin's on ice. He's in the freezer. He's not dancing. And then oh. Bob starts talking. You no, know, he's not. He's not Torvald and Dean. Mm. No. And then Bob starts talking about it's not much of a funeral, is it? And then Razor's like, "Oh, talking of funerals, I remember this woman spat in Jeff's face. I didn't see much of it." H. Oh, that was my favourite line I meant to say earlier. He says something like, uh, "He makes a joke about Colin's death," and he goes, "Mind my, my grief." Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, H. I love the line. Mind my, my grief. Um, so yeah, the, the, he basically says that a, a widow spat on Jeff's face, and it was all a bit weird. But it gets forgotten about because all the gangsters get. And this is the scene everybody always shows when mm. they talk about the Longer Friday, where everybody's brought in. And there's that little fella who was in um, Only Fools and Horses. He played Jumbo Mills. That's right, Nick Stringer. Imagine doing that part, Paul, yeah. hanging upside down. Yeah, it doesn't look. I would not like that at all. Yeah, yeah, I'm guessing a lot of them were stuntmen, but he actually had to hang upside down. There's a bit where Bob walks in and you can see him in the shot hanging upside down and Bob just stomps around I, taking ages to say anything. I'd be thinking, fucking they're, they're not They're not stuntmen, they're, 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 they're sort of regular actors, but every sort of five minutes or so they had to sort of upright them with tall ladders. Right. So that they're, you know, their, their heads were higher than their feet. Oh, that must have been horrible to mm. do. And, it, and there's another interesting uh, point of view shot hmm. where you're, you are one of the yes. gangsters being brought in. Filmed by the actual cameraman. Yeah, that's the cameraman's feet you can see dangling around. It's an it's an incredible sequence. It's influenced everything from sort of Goodfellas to the Pusher trilogy. You know, yeah. amazing thing. Isn't there a story about the Hoskins watch this with the IRA? Really, and some members of the IRA, and they leant over and, and just went, "I wish we were as organised as this, Bob." <laughs> <laughs> So then um, he he talks to all of them and says, you know, you're gonna have to, you're gonna tell me what's going on. But then Parky arrives, our bent copper, and says, we've had a look at the bomb. I also meant to mention this earlier, by the way, that bomb Bob, sorry Harold, gives Parky the bomb from the Mayfair Club to check it out to find out what it is. And he's had a look, and it's definitely an IRA bomb. So he's handing it to a special branch, and he says, that's how, it. How does he know that? Did it have like a CD of the callers inside or something? Maybe so. Yeah. 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 Said made an island on it. Yeah. Parky's yeah. a great character. Um, so I'm going to ask you again: what, what name of the actor who plays Parky? Well, Paul, the actor who played Parky was Dave King. He was a British comedian who was famous in the 50s and 60s. He had a hit recording as well. He's uh, a great. After character. doing national service in the RA, no, sorry, uh, that was all off the top of my head. By the way. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The wonder of the internet. Yeah. No, he's he's a great character, and uh, I yeah. I like them. How much are we paying you? 20 grand, now earn it, wouldn't it? Yeah. Love and it, it, his relationship Amazing. with Harold is it's just like uh, so matey and it's so kind of affable and nice. It's Until it goes tits up. Yeah. Yeah. And it just slaps him around the face, doesn't yeah. it? Like a That's little it. girl. Right, okay. Don't you tell me what I can and can't do. Bent Norman can be tolerated only for so long as they're lubricating. And you have become decidedly parched. If I was you, Parky, I'd run for cover and close the hatch. Because you might well wind up on one of those meat hooks, my son. Hey! <laughs> Amazing. Fantastic. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, so Parky basically isn't playing a ball to begin with, but Harold reminds him who's in, who's in charge. 
who's paying him. So he has to go and find out. So Harold goes home. He, oh, but he lets everybody off the hook, literally. I wonder if that's the expression comes from. And says to give him a grand each. And then Jeff, oh, Jeff attacks one of them because he knows that there's a, yeah, they're he's, leading he's, towards he's, the he's, Irish. He's overdoing it a little bit, isn't he, at this he point? Is. Yeah. And um, so Jeff says to put him in a bubble bath. And everyone goes, what? He goes, you know what I mean. Well, because everyone just assumes you meant put them in a laugh. Yeah. And he's like, what? What do you mean put them in a laugh? Yeah. No, they're no, all... put them in a literal bubble bath. They're actual cockneys. Are you having a bubble bath? Are you having a bubble? You it can't, must be a bit you can't do that with cockneys. They think yeah. you're talking about slang. Mm. So Harold goes home and uh, finds out Vicky's told the Yanks. He gets very angry and assaults her a little bit. And this is a really good scene about their relationship because mm. you think, oh no, it's going to be one of those he beats her up thing, but it's not because he's very sorry afterwards. Mm. He doesn't hit her or anything, he just yeah. gives her a little shove. What's happened to me? Yeah, he yeah. says that, what's happened to me? Mm. And um, she tells him she had to tell him because they were going to walk away. We find out there's a security guard from Councillor Harris's place who they had some explosives stolen and we need to go and talk to that security guard. No one else outside of the, what did he call it? The corporation. The corporation knows about this. The whole thing is very much a kind of metaphor for big business or, or business. You know, yeah. it's it's about sort of, you know, disruptors if you like, or kind of outsourcing or whatever. You know, yeah. it's essentially what he, what he's doing is a business plan. Yeah, yeah. So the um, Gillian Telforth, we see her the next day. She arrives to find a security guard nailed to the floor. He's literally nailed to the floor, and he goes, "Oh, help me!" I'm I'm imagining she couldn't do the scream because when she screams, it cuts away to a. It sounds like a stock scream to me. It does, doesn't it? I'm yeah. surprised the dog didn't start licking up the blood because he, you know, he's sort of dogs very... lick up everything. Yeah, they're human dust. Yeah. Well, they're not human, clearly. They're dog dustbins. But they, you I've know, seen he's just kind sick of... and a dog start eating it. And it's and yeah. when yeah. after she screamed, you don't hear. Doof, 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 doof. <laughs> <laughs> that might have been the nails going yeah. in. <laughs> I like the fact they call it the doof doofs, don't they? They yeah. do. Yeah. And was it? Uh, what's his name? Steve McFadden. Oh, great! I've got a doof doof. <laughs> uh, I should mention to anybody who is on Twitter unlike Paul who wastes everybody's time on Twitter but if you are on Twitter do follow uh, Steve McFadden's Cold War it's one of the best Twitter accounts yeah, ever brilliant. created it's my <laughs> favourite I don't know if you know about this Paul but someone gets photos of, of the Cold War and posits Steve McFadden into them <laughs> so you'll have Steve McFadden sitting next to um, Brezhnev <laughs> and you know, all sorts it's very funny but do have a look so basically the security guard's been nailed to the floor and he's dying. And so Harold's just really confused because how the hell does someone know to get the security guard before them? And then Vicky says, you know what? It must be someone close to home. And then he realises there's someone dirty in, their, in the corporation. And if you remember earlier, mm. when they, after the bomb's gone off in the pub, mm-hmm. there is a moment where Harold even gives his Vicky a, a little weird look. When she says, oh, I can't remember what she says. She said, you know, I wonder how this happened. Something along those lines. Mm. And he looks at her and is paranoid. Yeah, what's going on? You know, could, could it be her? Yeah. It's a very strange moment. We mm. should also say there's a moment we skipped over, but we did mention it earlier, where Councillor Harris calls Jeff a bastard. Bastard. And that's where Vicky tells Har- uh, Harold that there was a moment after dinner where Councillor Harris called Jeff the real bastard. I like the fact that... The, 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 of uh, Hoskins and Mirren in their, in their kind of smoking B and H and their dressing mm. gowns, proper Maxwell House breath. Well, he's got a <laughs> tiny dressing gown on as well, yeah. hasn't he? He's got his little chipolatas out of his dressing gown. Yeah. 
And he's got, I don't know what he's smoking. He's got this giant cigarette box. Yeah. With the big white cigarettes in it. Yeah, she's definitely on the old P&H. Uh, yes, yeah, so then he phones up. He, he suddenly remembers something that Razor said about the widow, and he phones Razor's, and he says, "Find that widow." And he goes, "I don't know. She had a funeral. Go and talk to all the undertakers." So she, he does, and then he meets the widow, and uh, he slaps her when she gets upset. Yeah, something they used to do in the old days, isn't it? And the kids, yeah. it's it's a appalling scene. It's actually, horrible. Isn't it? And the kids, you know, sort of cluster around her like, yeah. "Don't slap my mum." Yeah, she is. She was upset. She was hysterical though. That's what you have to do. Women get hysterical. You have to yeah. physically assault them. But then offer him a, a decent headstone. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Give him a decent headstone. And he says it with such disdain, like, yeah. you fucking idiot, what are you yeah. doing? Give him a decent stone. Uh, so he meets the widow, yes, I say, and then um, we find out that the husband was a minicab driver from Limeass mm. who died in Belfast, and Jeff and Colin arranged it. And he says, what do you want? And she says, under a pound a week. And he goes, yeah, all right. That wouldn't even get you a couple of turkey twizzlers from Iceland these days would it? these days no yeah, 100 quid a week in 1980 yeah quite a lot of money so Harold meets with Jeff Jeff comes around and he's flashy Merc and we find out via Jeff he basically says to Jeff how is everything alright alright is it alright there's quite a bit of basil exposition at this point isn't there yeah yeah yeah, yeah. well we basically find out that he, he's annoyed because when he asked Jeff when he got back in the con- from a Concord mm. New York How's everything been? And Jeff said everything was all right. But he eventually gets out of Jeff that Colin was delivering money for Harris in Belfast, as we mentioned earlier, to keep the builders sweet. But he nicked five grand and three top IRA men were killed. And then we get the probably one of the most disturbing scenes in cinema for me when I first saw this. Uh, for year, Until the bit in Saving Private Ryan where the guy gets the knife through the heart. Yeah. This was the bit, that, probably the more the sound design aspect of this mm. scene that disturbed me. Sounds when good. Jeff says, you're nothing to them, you're shit on their shoe. And he breaks the bottle and glasses him yeah, in yeah. the throat. But the the, the, the the sound effect as it's mm. going in is, while it's very disturbing. Well, it's kind of ironic it happened to Charlie from Casualty, didn't it? You know, because yes. he could have patched himself up. Oh, yeah, yeah, you take it outside with you. Yeah. Yeah, and, he, and there's, oh, it's horrible. And the, the sort of embrace he gives him as he's dying as well, like, you know. Yeah, it looks incredibly realistic. I always imagine that was exactly how it would look like. Yeah, you know? Well, he doesn't, he, he didn't want to do it, no. really. Just so angry. He was just, yeah. He let him down. And now they're at war with the IRA, which in 1980, you didn't really want to be at war with the IRA. It's one of the best premises I've ever heard, actually, particularly at that time. You know, what if... You know, everything's sort of predicated on what ifs, or the best things are predicated on what ifs. So, what if a, a you know a rapacious kind of ruthless gangster was fighting a ruthless terrorist organisation? It's amazing, really. Really is. If yeah. I'm I'm uh, I'm a bit surprised that they haven't um, Nick Love or, or Guy Ritchie hasn't tried to remake it. But then I was thinking, how how would you remake it now? You know, mm. who, because. Well, probably could, be probably quite easily in a couple of years. But, <laughs> you know, once the Good Friday's been ditched, yeah. Yeah, I also, suppose, but you it could, couldn't you be could, ISIS, could he, that he was after him or uh, anything? No, like. but you could have like a London cell of ISIS or something. Though. I mean, no, we had the Yardies and the Triads back then. Um, but as it's... I'm surprised Guy Ritchie hasn't, because it's handmade films. Yeah. And they made Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels. I'm surprised... I wonder if it has ever come up to be remade. I bet it has. I bet Nick Love's wanted to remake. Who would you get to play Harold Shan now, though? Apart from you. <laughs> Who would you get to play Harold Shan now? I think That's... you'd do it. No, I, I, I'm too I old for that. a start. It has to be um, Toby I... Jones. 
I was about to say that, yeah. I think, I think he probably could do yeah. it bloody well, actually. I mean, he's, really? a, well, he's, he's quite I mean, diminutive, though, isn't he? Yeah. Bob's not small. No. It's got to be someone who's like a little brick, isn't it, really? It Idris, would be, Idris Elba. It would be Tom Hardy again, wouldn't it? He yes, does everything. Tom oh, Tom Hardy. Hardy would be good, though. Yeah. He has got that thing. Mm. Melvin Hayes. <laughs> <laughs> Melvin Bragg. And there we are. And that finished that round of casting. Um, so, yeah, poor Jeff. Well, not poor Jeff. The shithead Jeff is now dead. And Harold comes steaming out of the boat wanting to kill Councillor Harris. And then he gets a, a, a karmic event because Vicky slaps him to calm him down. That boat is terrible, by the way. It looks, shit, like, it looks it? like a couple of bits of hardwood, so hardboard sort of knocked together, you know, flipping. Imagine being on that boat going up and down the Thames in 1979. <laughs> How shitty and smelly it must have been. The thing about that boat, right, the reason they got that boat in the first place is because when they um, did a call out for, you know, for, for yacht owners, most of them, because they shot in, you know, sort of August, hmm. or they shot in summer anyway, most of the boat owners were away in Saint Tropez. So the only boat they could find. Was this guy? It was owned by a um, by a guy who John McKenzie, in order to get the yacht, would sort of pretend he was going to put him in the film. So every yeah. so often he'd go, "Can I just have a look at your left profile?" For... <laughs> <laughs> you know? And the guy was like, "Oh yeah, right, yeah, definitely, yeah." So that's how they got the yacht. But it is it is a terrible looking yacht. It really is. It's not. I I doubt it's exactly what they wanted in terms of luxury. But mm. we do like the open top red sports car. Oh yeah. 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 What is that? Mercedes. Yeah. Because Jeff says, I'll take the Merc. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. So Harold goes back, and this is the bit I love the most. Um, I've got the soundtrack, like Paul, not in a fancy vinyl with notes, but the track I listen to the most is a track called Rage. And uh, it's the bit where Harold goes back to his house, and he has his flat, and he has a shower, and they burn his clothes. And it is one of the most beautiful, evocative pieces of music ever. What does the um, soundtrack listing say about it? Is it called Rage? I might be wrong. It's, um, Fury. Fury! Fucking hell. Right, here are the notes. I've had four pints, by the way, everybody. See. It turns out Jeff went back... It turns out Jeff went behind Harold's back, covered up, and now Harold's gang is being decimated. Harold storms about his boat, waiting for the luckless Jeff to arrive. Only a few seconds of this music are used in the film. After Jeff's murder... Harold takes a purifying shower. <laughs> I thought you were about to say purifying shit, actually. No, a purifying shower while Victoria burns his bloody clothes. For a while, it seems as they found new will and purpose. But it's a beautiful piece of music. I mean, especially combined with the visual of literally Howard. Mm. Howard? Harold washing the blood off of himself. It's in the the, that beautiful 80s sax driven. So it was it's not 80s, it was 79. It's that lovely sax string section stuff. in there as well mm. that kicks in. It's just, mm. oh, it's wonderful. Again, I'm really you know, annoyed I forgot what it was called. Yeah. And, and it, uh, the only time I've seen that kind of scene since was the National Treasure with Robbie Coltrane's character. Yes, I was thinking of that actually when he's in the shower and yeah. he starts screaming. Yeah, yeah that's uh, very reminiscent. He doesn't look as good as Bob. In, in, you know, Bob's no. in good shape here, I think. <laughs> yeah. And a bit, have you, one thing going back to the, the, the mighty Francis Monkman, he has the most bizarre, non aspirational <laughs> website. Does he? You just just Google uh, his. I go to his uh, wiki page and then just look at his website. It's just, it's it's very funny. It's very old. It's just one page of oh. really dense text. There's a good. Um, I think there's a YouTube clip of him doing some music from the Long Good Friday. Maybe they made like a video or something where he's very serious about it. 
I don't know why didn't he do more. The only other th- match know. he did think again with Johnny Ball or something like that. He should have done more. He should have done this more. This is a fucking great soundtrack. It really is, especially as he'd have moved, you know, through the eighties and nineties out of using synths mm. and into. Anyway, so they go and see Councillor Harris, and you get this really annoying security guard. Imagine going to... He, he literally walks them up to the office and is really irritating to them all the way. I'd have, I'd have, I'd have offed him, I think. I'd have pushed him down the stairs. <laughs> I, love, I love the line in there, just like a sideways, out the, out the corner of the mouth kind of line. Councillor Harris has done a lot for the Irish community around here, hasn't he? Mm. <laughs> and then they go to the banger racing. Stock car racing. Stock car racing, yeah, yeah well, whatever. So they go to the banger race, and Harold goes to meet the Irish... He's brought sixty k. Now Harris is telling him they're not. They don't want your money. This isn't what it's about. Harold goes to see them. The fellow sitting down eating dinner and having champagne says, "Well, I'm not the boss. The boss is out there racing." Mm. So the boss comes in, and Harold says to him, "I've got sixty grand." And at this point, you know, sometimes in a film that you're trying to will it to be a good ending. Yeah. You're like Harold. He wants the money. Just let him have it. Because hmm. the bloke's really interested in this sixty grand. Yeah. He literally opens the suitcase and he starts handing money out like, "Oh, hey." And right then, the door gets kicked down. Mm. Razors and um, Terry from 40 Towers gun mm. them down. Nasty scene. Nasty. They fall out the windows, cause all the cr- cars to crash and burn. I think that's Vic Armstrong in this scene. Oh, it must be. Famous stuntman Vic Armstrong. He's and did these stock car races, did, was this an actual place or did they just... It's an actual place, yeah. It's in Hackney. That they do... Yeah. Do they still do that now? Uh, I don't know if they still do, but it was definitely a kind of um, sort of big pastime around that sort of you mm. know neck of the woods, yeah. So anyway, so Harold thinks, uh, um, we're thinking about what Jeff said earlier, you know, like the, the British Army have been at war with the IRA for years. You're not exactly going to solve it by killing two people. Ooh. They're like ants. But Harold Ooh. thinks he solved all his problems by shooting these two people. Yeah. And he goes to see the Yanks and basically says, all sorted, but the Yanks are going to go home. And um, they don't want any part of this. Probably and, because they've got investment in the IRA themselves. Yeah. Yeah. There was a big connection, wasn't there, with America and uh, it was. IRA. And Mickey Rourke used to give to them, didn't he? Yeah. Um, so then we get this wonderful speech. Yeah. About you know, some, I, of which, some of which was improvised, actually. Was it? it? Well, Hoskins would kind of build on it. You know, there was a skeleton of the speech, and Hoskins would come back and just start circulating. Yeah. Well, the bit everyone remembers is Mafia, I shit him. Yeah. It's a good line. A little bit more than an hot dog, know what I mean? <laughs> the crats. <laughs> <laughs> and he says this. Um, and he's still a Remainer, as you rightly say. He's a Remainer to the end. And that yeah. most peculiar, peculiar, sorry, insult. I still can't work it out. Shut up, you long streak of paralysed piss. Yeah. What does that mean? Maybe it's referencing David Bowie freezing his piss. Because <laughs> I was thinking a, a lot of the, the stuff that comes out of Harold's mouth. Quite amused, quite unusual, like... Diabolical liberty, and yeah. quite frankly, I'm a bit flabbergasted <laughs> since Hitler stuck a swastika on his jockstrap and all of that. Well, it's I, just I like, like Kenneth Williams, almost. Yeah, isn't it? yeah. I, I, I'm I like, really discombobulated. <laughs> I love the exchange. This isn't normal, Harold. It's indecently abnormal. <laughs> Stop messing about. <laughs> you are awful, but I like you. But the, the thing about the whole of this film is that there is, it's not. It is a real dark humour. Mm. It's not a comedy, obviously. Yeah, it's a real undercut. But there's a real black humour yeah. with the one-liners that run through the whole movie. It's great. So Harold storms out of the Yanks, calls over his car, his Jag, and the Jag turns up, he gets in. 
it starts driving off at a fast speed, and then we realise the Irish are driving the Jag. Now, this is interesting. So, Mackenzie, John Mackenzie, the director, is literally driving that car. Oh, is he? The car, the car is driving down the entire length of the Strand from the Savoy towards Trafalgar Square, mm-hmm. and that whole sequence is shot during that during that live car drive. Um, and Mackenzie, you know, the director Mackenzie, that's his eyes you see in the rearview mirror, that's kind of looking quite sort of sinisterly at Bob Hoskins yeah, in yeah. the back. Um, and as he's driving, Mackenzie, out of shot, is telling him the entire story of the film. So Bob Hoskins' face, which is yeah. obviously one of the most extraordinary sequences in the whole of cinema, yeah. is yeah. about two minutes long, um, is reacting a couple of beats behind what Mackenzie is telling him, which is basically the plot of the film. And so Hoskins is reacting to that with, you know, sort of shock, surprise, fury, anger, yeah. uh, sort of... Sort acceptance. Of acceptance, even kind of slight sort of humour. And know. then admiration, I think. Even admiration. He's kind of like, oh, I like the way they've done this. So Mackenzie's literally driving the plot this, of the movie it, at this stage. It's the first shot of the movie. It I was. Think. It was yeah. shot, yeah, it was the first to be shot. Oh, yeah. really? Hmm. That's interesting. And then, of course, we see um, Helen being taken away in a Volvo. Yeah. Hey, where's Victoria? And then you see her silent scream in the car, yeah. which is terrifying. What is going to happen to her? Yeah. Mm. She's also, the toughest this... character in the whole film as well, really. Also means Razors is dead as well, because he was driving the Jag, wasn't he? Oh, yeah. Right. There was going to be a sequel in which, um, I think it was set, uh, you know, it was going to sort of trace his passage you know, through the 80s, uh, probably sort of going legit. What, Harold stuff. being alive? What would happen was that the car would uh, meet a kind of police line and then there'd be some kerfuffle, and he'd jump out and shoot the, you know, somehow he'd wrestle the guns off the IRA men and escape. And then the rest of the film would, would trace his passage you know, through the 80s as a kind of, a bit like sort of Godfather 3, yeah, you know, yeah. sort of going legit. Thank God that didn't Thank happen. Thank God, yeah. yeah. I was going to say, a bit like Godfather 3, that it's sounds the, awful. Mm. It's the perfect ending to a film if you can't have him suddenly. It just, would just ruin it, wouldn't it? it would, there's no way he should escape the situation because there's just no way you'd get out of that. I mean, not only being in that car, but upsetting a massive terrorist organisation mm. like that. And I like the, the, the nonchalance of Pierce Brosnan's hitman. Yeah. Chewing away on the fruit salad. I like yeah. the, the, the whisper of a smile he gives them as well as yeah. he's aiming the gun. It's beautiful. But there we are, the Long Good Friday. Yeah, so now we have the aftermath of the Long Good Friday and what happened afterwards, you see. Hmm. So, you know, that's Lou Grade, hmm. who was originally going to, you know, distribute the film. Right. Um, decided it was unpatriotic, probably because of the speech by you know Charlie from Casualty about you know the IRA can defeat you, they're like ants, blah blah blah. Yeah. And in an extraordinary kind of leap of logic, he decided that one, it was IRA propaganda, and two, the IRA would probably blow up the cinemas it was in. Right. So what they decided was they were going to cut the film to eighty-two minutes, cut out all references to the IRA, and flog it to the American networks. In the process of this, they revoiced Bob with an actor from Wolverhampton. What? Yeah. Um, now, Hoskins knew a lot of people in the underworld, you know, um, including John Bindon, obviously, yeah. we discussed before. Um, and it, apparently during the film, a villain said to him something like, it's good to see one of our own doing well, you know, because uh, they assumed that Hoskins was genuinely the real McCoy because he's mm. so good at it. Yeah. Um, and Barry Keefe told me in an interview about 20 years ago when I interviewed him at length about this film for a book, um, and during the winter of 1979, he and Hoskins and the producer, Barry Hansen, uh, were huddled in an office in Carnaby Street doing rewrites and feeling very depressed because they'd been ordered by Lou Gray to, you know, do these rewrites because uh, Gray had ordered these cuts. And he says that Hoskins was at the time was drinking a large tumbler of vodka. And he said he was, he was muttering darkly and he said, this film is fucked up because of these cuts. I know a geezer for grand 
who could take out new grade. And that's, so look at that, that's, that's 300 quid each between the three of us. And Barry Hansen, the producer, said, uh, no, no, but if, if you kill Lou Grade, Bob, another Lou Grade will pop up. And Haskins said, for fuck's sake, for 600 quid each, we're going to have both of them. <laughs> Jesus Christ, extraordinary. In the end, Bob, Bob filed a lawsuit because of the uh, the, the, uh, the revoicing. Yeah. You know, and uh, people like Alec Guinness rushed to his defence and, you know, was going to mount the kind of you know, court case and defence and say, you know, you can't do this to an actor, particularly a kind of young up-and-coming actor, like, or, you know, like, this is his first major role, you can't do yeah. this. Yeah. Um, and what happened was Barry Hansen nicked it from the cutting room floor the day it was, you know, or the cutting room the day before it was going to be cut to ribbons. Um, they showed it at the Edinburgh Film Festival, where it got an amazing reception. Well, imagine. Um, after that, they met Eric Idle at a party, which naturally led to Handmade. And George Harrison was most concerned that... Um, the violence was wasn't too bad and was kind of real and authentic because he was very he was very anti-violence George Harrison obviously, um, and finally it came out and around about sort of March 1981 you know they're reporting that Touts and Leicester Square were selling bootleg videos of it's one of the very first bootleg videos in history wow that they were selling the bootleg videos as well as tickets for the movie to the actual crowds who were queuing up to see it well at yeah. least they were selling bootleg videos anyway really? if you enjoyed this now watch the video later kind of thing one of the first instances of bootleg videos yeah incredible incredible That's an amazing story thank you very much cool. so what's the best bob hoskins film guys oh probably long good friday i would have yeah, thought i'd say that you Mona Lisa's great. Long Good Friday, mm. closely followed by Mona Lisa. It'd be a good double bill, wouldn't it? Show this and Mona Who Lisa. Framed Roger Rabbit, of course. Yeah. That's actually a very good, because he's acting to nothing. Mm. Drove him mm. mad. Yeah. Yeah. I'm bloody mad. Yeah. I was very lucky to have met him. Were you? Yes. When? I did a film called Paris Je Thème, and he was, there's many actors in it. It was like, like an anthology, lots of little stories about Paris. And he was staying in the hotel that I was staying in, in Hilton. I think it was amazing, such an experience. And he was f been filming his stuff in the day and I, I got chatting to his minder, the guy who presses his trousers and everything. And, and he was really surprised because I knew so much and how much he'd meant to me as a young actor and I, you know, almost based my, my image on him back then. And uh, he went and told Bob Hoskins... And so he came out to say hello. Oh. And he had a little smile on his face. And he said, I'm knackered. He said, last night, Gerald Depardieu and Ben Gazzara got me pissed, didn't they? <laughs> I've been hung over all day and they're doing it again tonight. Do you fancy coming down? And I thought, I thought God, I've got up. I'm going to be up at six in the morning. And it's one of my big regrets. Oh, that I, it would have been worth it though, wouldn't it? Well, not not because it was very. I had to be match fit for the next day. Right. Okay. You were playing the mime artist. I was playing a mime artist, and he was very yeah. sweet. And uh, and I, Matt Lucas told me he worked with him on Wind in the Willows. Oh yeah, he did. He played he Badger, Badger he? and he said he was, you know, he was getting a bit kind of crotchety with <laughs> the lack of catering and stuff. But other than that, just brilliant. He taught my friend uh, to fire eat, as well. Hey. In in that would have been around the time of Long raggedy, Good Friday. No, no, no. This right? was around the time of Long Good Friday. Um, he he did had a lot of circus skills. Was this when that. he would have sort of by via the kind of Ken Campbell Roadshow? Possibly, like yeah. I I think it must have been. This definitely would have been early eighties, late seventies. Wow. Because when I was at drama school, this actor sadly passed away. Um, 
Yeah, Sid Hoskins. Yeah, Bob Hoskins, your your hero. He taught me to fire eat. And he was a phenomenal man. Can I mention the fact that Paul does an amazing impression of Bob Hoskins at the end of the long frame? I only know about this because Edgar Wright on Twitter said, my mate Paul Putner does an incredible impersonation of Hoskins at the end of the Long Good Friday. And you do. Well, he doesn't say anything, does he? But you do you do the best impression of, of that. Can I've I mention that I've got a video of Paul Putner doing an impression of the Long Good Friday <laughs> at the end with the music on it. And I've been forbidden to post it by Paul Putner. But I think I think I think you should do it now for the for the listeners. Well, I they think, can't I think see they it, can they? No, but it doesn't matter, does it? I think you should just do it <laughs> with my radio face. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, yeah. Well, what a well, and 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 everyone else. What an amazing cast and yeah. and uh, Helen Mirren, just phenomenal. Mm. So, what's the worst Bob Hoskins film? Probably Super Mario Brothers. I was going to say that's definitely my one. That's the only time he's at, he loses his accent. Phil Jupiter's pointed this out to me. We go, oh, I'm just a planner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, heart condition. Oh, that's terrible, I'm, isn't it? Him yeah. and Denzel Washington. Oh shit, that. Where he's a fuck. racist policeman who has to oh, live in the body of a. He's given his heart to a black guy. Mm. Yeah, that's really. That's bad. like his kind of Robert De Niro years, isn't it? Yeah. When he's just doing any old fucking but shit. The, the, yeah. the, the film I always. Blue want. Ice. Right. I remember he was interviewed on on, on Wogan, where he was saying that there was talk that he was going to do a film called The Three Bears and Goldilocks, with Danny DeVito playing Baby Bear, him playing Mummy Bear, and Phil Collins playing Daddy Bear. (laughs) (laughs) But that, I wish, got made. Oh, yeah. Because I imagine it would have been like three men and a baby. I can't imagine they'd be dressed up as bears. Surely not. Jesus. That's quite the human centipede, though, if you think about it. <laughs> That's DeVito, his little bear. Okay. He is quite small. And he's and they're beating it all up! <laughs> God. Good grief. Those, those, when oh, you hear God. about those films, like apparently uh, Michael, it's like the th- Michael Caine and Roger Moore were apparently, or Sean Connery and, and Michael Caine, yes, we're going to do um, The Birdcage, Le Cage of Fall. Really? Yeah. What, well, the wow. one they ended up doing with Robin Williams and Gene Hackman? Uh, yeah, I can't remember who they. Yeah, that would have been amazing with Michael Caine and Roger Moore. Well, there was, there was a similar film called something called oh God. I'm gonna have to edit this, but it was with um, Richard Burton and um, oh yes, uh, Peter O'Toole. It was, it's, it's, is it called something like Stair- Glittering Staircase? Staircase, yeah, yeah. Staircase. It, 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 it's yeah. a very kind of lethargic, you know, Lacage mm. kind of film. Mm. Uh, that's, that's a weird one. Thank you, Ali Cashwell, for coming. Thank you. Very Thank much. you, Paul Panner, for coming again. It's lovely to see you both again. And thanks for talking and making our Good Friday a long Good Friday. Thank you. Bye bye. What up?
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.